How are you going, Team Health Tech? So if you follow us on LinkedIn, you would have seen that we've hosted a few live stream sessions recently. So live videos where you get to watch an interview in real time. And I'm absolutely loving the engagement from these, doing them live, all the energy from the sessions. And I don't know, there's just this extra edgy element and a bit of fun about going live too. So recently we went live and had a chat with someone who's been on the show before, Jeff Smoot, the CEO from Informatics. But this time we brought on another guest as well, David Ryan, the CIO at Northern Health. And what an awesome conversation it was to get the opportunity to have a technology vendor and a hospital CIO in the same room, or albeit a virtual room, I guess, not just talking about how great things are, but also more importantly, reflecting on when things got tough, when things didn't quite work out and how they went about fixing things together. And listening to this session, I feel like we'll all get to learn a bit more about the importance of fostering better relationships between technology vendors and hospitals and how to go about building those partnerships. So check it out. Enjoy the session. And if you wanted to hear more from David Ryan, the CIO from Northern Health, who you'll hear in a minute, you can catch David alongside Beck Ziffer, who's had loads of experience managing and implementing technology projects in hospitals herself, and also Sue Sinclair from Ramsey Healthcare. So you can catch all of them in a panel session at the Talking Health Tech Spring Summit on the 16th of September. So get your ticket or become a THT Plus member so you can get your tickets for free from talkinghealthtech.com. So you won't want to miss that one. There's 12 sessions at the Spring Summit coming up. So check out the website for more information. But in the meantime, after the music, you'll hear Jeff Smoot from Informatics and David Ryan from Northern Health all about hospital vendor partnerships. Collaboration starts with a conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. My name is Peter Birch from Talking Health Tech. If you don't know, this is a live stream conversation that we're having on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Facebook. So if you're listening, watching, I can see we've got people on LinkedIn watching now but also on Facebook and YouTube. So we're going to be chatting here for the next hour or so, utilizing the technology that we've got available to us. Many of us in situations where we're locked down or can't move around. So hopefully we get something useful out of this session today. Before we do start, and I'll introduce our guests today, a few obligatory cheap plugs on my side. We've got the Talking Health Tech Spring Summit coming up where we've got over 40 speakers, again, across 12 sessions, supported by Genie Solutions, CLO, and Informatics as well. You can get your tickets from talkinghealthtech.com slash summit, or tickets are free for THT Plus members. And if you wanted to become a THT Plus member, you get access to the summit for free. You get the premium podcast, which you get episodes two weeks before everyone else of the Talking Health Tech podcast with no ads and also bonus episodes every week. You get access to the community forum and you get a free pair of Talking Health Tech socks as well. So that's available to you. You can do that at tht.plus or on our website. So if you do become a THT Plus member, you won't be alone by yourself. There's about 130 something members that we've got. We've got organizations, we've got individuals. So do come on board. Now, so we're going to bring on our guests for today. So we're really today, we're talking about that whole 
vendor and hospital relationship, the technology vendor and hospital relationship. And so with me today, I'll bring onto the screen, we've got Jeff Smoot and we've got David Ryan. Hey guys, how are you going? Good, how are you? Very good. Excellent. Thanks for coming on and appreciate you making the time. I might get you both to give a bit of an introduction about yourselves firstly to set the scene. Jeff, do you want to start with yourself and then we'll go to David? Yeah, sure. I'm the CEO of Informatics, been with Informatics for about two and a half years, been in the industry here for a long time, was one of the original managing directors for Cerner, was industry VP for Fujitsu, and was managing director Australia for all scripts. And uh, yeah, have been with Informatics for two and a half years. It's been a fantastic place to be. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. And we just recently spoke on the podcast as well. So people can check that episode out if they wanted to as well. But David, tell us a little bit more about yourself too, please. Yeah. So I'm the CIO of Northern Health, been in the geek for a couple of years now, had a very large technology program that was really uplifting the whole environment of Northern Health. In some ways, there's the technology and the infrastructure, but also the applications. Prior to that, over in rural Victoria, managing the IT for some 18 hospitals over there. And prior to that, in the Grampians part of regional Victoria as well, looking after their 19 hospitals. So in some ways, been around the environment for a while, particularly in public health. So it's been an, an interesting sojourn and previously also had engagement in inside government, looking after sort of community services and human services. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you, David. Look, we were chatting a bit before we went live and, and I'm really grateful that we've got the opportunity to have this conversation across, not just with a decision maker within a hospital setting or a CTO, CIO type arrangement and not just a vendor, but these collaborative conversations together. So it leads me to the question then, how did you guys meet or what's the, or, or more importantly, what's the connection between both of you gents? Well, I guess from my perspective, David and I have known each other for a long, long time, I think through the journey that he's outlined for himself and that I've talked about. We've crossed paths on a number of occasions and a bit ironic, I think I started with Informatics, David, about four to six months before you started with Northern and we were heavily engaged as the organizations. We provide Northern with the digitized scan medical record capability. I think, David, our relationship with the organizations go back at least 15 years, if not longer. So the organizations have had a very strong history over time and not only working just in terms of the scan digital record um, solely, but also working as partners as Northern has evolved through their journey in technology implementation as well. Yeah. And so what's happening today in terms of the day-to-day relationship with informatics and, and Northern? Yeah, I can talk to that. So in some ways we went through a bit of a, I would say a rocky period when we actually upgraded our environment. So we upgraded from an old version of the software. And in some ways that was introducing a whole new set of functions and features, but those functions and features also required a significant change to the architecture. So in some ways we got to a point where it was clear that as we're going through the upgrade, things weren't going so well. So we had to work through, okay, well, if we're going to have an outage period that lasts say 11 hours or longer, what does that mean for clinical staff that are using that application? And unfortunately, we had to roll back that particular upgrade. And as a result, the eyes of the executive and potentially the board started to focus in on us. So we started to look at, well, how do we improve this? How do we ensure that we actually get a good outcome? 
So we quickly moved towards an executive type approach. So this is where informatics then really stood up and Jeff in particular made sure that he had the right level of engagement to direct his staff and also for myself to have regular updates on what was happening and just to make sure that we in some ways calmed the waters of the hospital as well, knowing full well that we had to roll back, which meant that we had to have another outage sometime in the future. That certainly meant that we had to really stand up and and I'm sure Jeff probably feels the same way I do, that the outcomes have been quite amazing ever since that escalation period. When I hear the words rollback, it's like as a vendor, it's the worst it's two words or a hyphenated word that you can hear. And it's difficult to come back from that often. It's usually seen as the one step before putting it in the bin and going back to where you were. It's rare do you see a kind of, it's not as often that you see rollback realignment and then go ahead. So that whole process must have been a bit of a, there's a lot to go on there. Jeff, how did you go about that? We even just leading up to that, if we look at the original project and how it got kicked off, the teams had been working very closely together, even up to that time. So there was already, I think, a very strong level of communication. I think there was a very high level of trust to begin with. So that facilitated being able to have open, transparent communication without worrying about any of the background because everybody was pretty clear already. And I also think that is part of the longevity of the relationship because the engagement between the teams Those people had been working together for quite a long time. So I think that facilitated that level of trust and level of communication. We went into it, I think, with a very well-scripted plan for the shutdown. And I think because things were so transparent that when things started to happen real time, we were working together real time and we were able to make that decision real time. Yeah, we need to roll this back. We understood what the issues were. We knew where we had to do some investigation, which was helpful. But we just felt that from a a project perspective, from a clinical safety perspective, let's pause, take a breath and recalibrate and get this thing moving back as fast as we can. And that's what happened. And look, the reason we're doing this as a live is to give the opportunity for people watching who might be interested in that process or looking to go through the process of a vendor hospital relationship or even just generally utilizing technology in healthcare. These are the areas that people don't get to live through the process of implementing and adjusting. So by all means, if anyone's got any questions or comments or things to throw up, then we can discuss them as we go. But we'll continue to explore that a little bit further. I guess if you were to pull it out then and kind of summarize, you were talking a lot about the transparency and the openness was really important and working together. That's one very important aspect, but there's probably a lot more doing that needs to get done, a lot more, I guess, rolling up of the sleeves to turn a ship around and actually do things successfully. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, you have to get engaged. You have to work the problem. I think the big thing that makes this successful is how you define the environment, how you set a tone and communicate. And I've been in the kind of client-vendor relationships most of my career. And the thing that really stood out, I think, in this instance is while Northern was under an extreme amount of pressure, and David and his group in particular under a lot of stakeholder pressure, there was that level of trust there, but we were not made to feel like a vendor. We had to have some hard discussion, but it was always a collaborative discussion. It was never an ultimatum discussion. And we were given room from our position, the room to move, the room to dissect further, the room to come back to it, uh, recommendations that we felt would be effective and work the problem without feeling like we had somebody hitting us over the back of the head and pulling contracts out of drawers and just giving us hard ultimatums that can create a lot of uncertainty. It, it creates a huge amount of distraction. 
So it enabled us to just stay focused, work the problem, come back fairly quickly to David and his team with some recommendations and really being aware that the environment on David's end was also fairly highly charged at the moment as well. So Dave was trying to manage various stakeholders from executive to clinicians and various others and trying to keep that empathy going. Again, I think the harder we try to make things, the harder it is to come up with solutions. The easier we communicate, stay open and transparent and keep that trust that the partner is going to do the right thing, it tempers the conversation and it sets a whole different level of expectation, which then filters across the teams and gives them confidence to just focus and do their job and not worry about consequences. David, when I was listening to Jeff then talk about stakeholder management, that can certainly be a lot of plates are spinning and different expectations. And in the end, healthcare needs to be delivered and clinicians need access to information. Lots of different things going on. But for that to be done effectively, is culture a really important aspect of this or is there something else that's a really important aspect for these types of things to be successful? Yeah, certainly executive leadership in these sorts of things is really important because you've got to have the right people at the table so that they have those discussions. The issues that we often see with healthcare is if a system is absolutely critical to the care of a patient, what they tend to do is to have certain metrics that are in place. And, and we've had over time, the importance of the technology has really risen to the right to the fore. So the culture has become something quite important really to build a culture of openness amongst executive teams so that they can see that we're all pulling the same direction. Where that concern often comes is if you've got regular outages and regular problems, it's how you explain, it's how you actually then resolve it. So no one likes to see regular outages and regular problems with systems. My home broadband, for example, it gets patchy at times and that's life. And I think now leadership teams often now realize that there's interruptions at time. And that was the case with paper as well, unavailability of paper records. And because we moved to a scan medical record and then we introduced digitized smart forms, that meant that we put a whole lot more into that record. And so the culture of the place really changed when we moved to that smart form type approach, which meant that everything was in that record and electronic medical records are no different that you get a whole range of thinking that changes around how you access and how important a record is. So once that's understood by your leadership team, they do go pretty hard on you, but at the same time, they also understand that you're working as hard as you can with your partner vendor. And I use that purpose, that word partnership, because I think it's important that you set up that relationship as a partnership, not as a customer vendor type relationship particularly when you're dealing with people's lives inside that medical record. Yeah. And you would have had to have obviously build a lot of different partnerships with different vendors over time and thinking about different technologies that are used within the hospital setting and where those partnerships get challenged the most, all the trickiest parts to those. From my experience, typically the implementation or the onboarding for technology is often the part where people get tested the most, would you agree is the implementation onboarding the most important part to get right? I think whenever you're introducing a new product or upgrading from an old version to a new version or anything like that, I think it's important to have the right governance in place first and foremost, because what we've found through my experience is that if you've got good governance in place, you can escalate issues to the right level. 
and that idea of having an open type of dialogue, I think that makes a big difference, particularly if it's an open dialogue amongst your own organization, but also with the partner vendor. And it's also not just about delivery. It's often about the ongoing relationship that you have with your vendor, that things constantly change. IT doesn't stand still. You know, I I know that we're now talking about how you deliver in a mobile environment. That's very different to delivering in a desktop environment because our hospital environment is now moving outside the four walls. And during the pandemic, it's very clear it has to move outside those four walls. So certainly engaging with senior levels of both the partner vendor and in your own organisation is something that I've used as a methodology, that it's not just something where you have a project plan and you manage to the project plan. You really have to manage all the relationships, both internal and external as well. And Jeff, what about from your perspective? Look, I think just to build on what David was saying is you get these lines of communication that are very clear and very open. We're having discussions now about the direction Northern is going and where we add value right now, but also then being able to share with David the direction that we're going, which is basically client driven from our client base. It allows David to continue to plan forward, understand how informatics can continue to be relevant and add value to their programs as they're continuing to expand which then allows us for a lot of pre-planning and where are we going in the direction of our own development roadmap and whatnot to so that we ensure that we do stay current. Yeah. We're starting to see some questions come through on the chat, through LinkedIn and YouTube and everywhere. And one that Cameron brings up is it's great when we've got two parties on both sides talking about how they can go through and work through a problem together. But what happens when there's a fractured relationship? And have you guys got any tips on how to rebuild those from either side of the desk? Escalation as early as possible. So when you see an issue, escalate it. Don't be afraid of hurting someone's feelings or causing an issue. You know, do what I did. Pick up the phone to the MD and have that discussion about what you currently see. And I imagine from the, the viewpoint of the software vendor, it's probably similar. Yeah, absolutely. Just being able to have some clear discussion. And I think everything comes down to communication. A lot of times the fractured relationship can be brought on by a lot of stress and what the activity actually is and allowing the stress and allowing the pressure to kind of become front of mind rather than staying measured being able to absorb some hard discussion, but being able to be clear of mind to where you can also provide the information so that things become balanced really comes down to intent, I think. And if the intent is the relationship first and foremost, in my experience, that brings things together much more quickly than creating and constantly putting up the barriers that'll never allow things to evolve to proceed. And just to explain that a bit further as well, I mean, when I think about what we've been through with Informatics, one of the things that they did inside their organization is did a bit of a reshuffle. They introduced a new chief technology officer as an example. And what that meant for us is that I got to talk about the architecture. I got to talk about, okay, how does this really work? Where do you think the problem might be? And then we start to unpack that even further, which then helps to rebuild a relationship if it was broken, because you start to understand each other's perspectives about what's important to each party. And some might want to stay further out from that tech side, but we are talking about software. We are talking about how people use it. And sometimes you actually have to peel that back to get to what the the nub of the issue might be. And it's the same with if it happens to be a project and implementation of something new, 
it might be that they've either the hospital side doesn't have the right resources on your project and it might be the same inside the partner vendor that in fact there's not the right reasons or they keep getting reassigned to other activities that's a common issue that you see and then once you know what those issues are you can then escalate them to the right levels and have those very open and frank conversations one thing i used to say a fair bit and we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast before and Jeff, you touched on this earlier, is if you get to the point in the relationship where you're pulling out the contract from the drawer to then work out the next steps, then that's probably, you're a little bit too late. We're a good side. Yeah. So in terms of then thinking about then members of the Talking Health Tech community and generally those that are going through those processes, perhaps getting caught up in contracts and like they're really important to have, but also at the same time, they're not a tool that can be utilized to help solve problems. Like they're, they're really to set the guardrails. And from your perspectives, going through, you've both done lots of conversations and negotiations, set up contracts. Where do you place the importance on the contracts and when do you pull them out? Mm. Yes. Jeff, you go first. <laughs> I think for us and for me, it's more around the scope of works and the deliverables that are attached to the contract, because that's what I call the source of truth that if those are done well, that articulates very clearly the responsibilities and rules of the road. But for me, that just gives a framework. It should never stop problem solving, right? It should never get in the way of, from our perspective, putting the client first and putting the solution in the projects, then that should always come first. I don't concern myself with termination clauses. I don't concern myself with kind of the legalities of the head agreement. I spend most of my time paying attention to what are the deliverables that are required? How do we do it more effectively? It's in those areas where the issues are going to come up. So I think if we understand the baseline that we're moving from, if you're going to take ownership and accountability, you just do what you have to do because it's like anything else. You can plan as well as you can plan, but as soon as you kick the plan off, it will change. There's environmental issues. There's all kinds of things that are out of our control. So for me, it's about being accountable, accepting their responsibility, being very transparent so that we can make the adjustments along the way and put the project first and the people that have to deliver that and have to receive it so they can use it. Make that first and then other discussions, I think, become relatively easy to have. It's very topical as well. This morning I had exactly that happen where we were talking about effectively an SLA, a service level agreement. And in that conversation, all of a sudden the contract came out from the vendor and it was a question of, okay, well, if you didn't abide by them, what happens next? You know, how do we actually solve this problem? And it resulted in perhaps there's going to be some letter writing between the two parties. That's not really where it needs to be. The good thing was that this particular vendor picked up the phone, spoke to us, and then organized a call. And we didn't involve any contract managers or anyone. It was just purely about, okay, tell us what happened. What are we going to do about it? There will be a follow-up letter, but it's important to get past the contract clauses. Sometimes it's inevitable, and sometimes the architecture of the systems that you're using or the performance of the vendor it comes to a natural conclusion that unfortunately that's IT, that we're all in the, the market where you either got to evolve or you disappear. And as a hospital, we're constantly looking around for new technology, but we're also looking around for stability because we hold on to these applications for a long time. Northern has had the informatics application for a very long time. 
So we want to see innovation and change. And a contract, unless you're constantly looking at it and allowing for its change, it won't change with you. Such good advice. And you touched on picking up the phone and having a conversation to work through situations. I can see in the chat, Dirk has put up a very good point, which is very topical and current in this current climate where back in the day, if you're in the same area or if you were having a big problem, you could jump on the plane and meet in person and talk through problems. And obviously being in person, doing business, you can break down a lot of barriers, but jumping on a Zoom or picking up the phone or sending an email that doesn't sometimes, you know, resonate through. From either of your perspectives, we might go with Jeff first and then to David, how are you finding building relationships in a virtual setting and any advice you can give to those that are having some troubles? Yeah, I think with relationships that have been in place for a long time, I don't think it's that difficult. You're picking up the phone anyway and talking a lot. I mean, our office is in Melbourne and it was convenient to go see David and the executive team out at Northern Health when we sit down and have a chat. But with current relationships, it really hasn't changed that much. It is the challenge when you have new relationships, but just in my mind means reach out more often because you don't have that ability to have the face-to-face and and have a conversation that sticks with you in your mind. So I think it's increased frequency in touching base. And in terms of establishing new relationships, I think everybody's kind of on the same foundation on that. I think everybody's conscious that new relationships aren't going to be forming as easily as it was before. In some of the examples that I've got in my mind, the person on the other end of the video conference is probably just as conscious of that as I am. Yeah, right. We're all in the same back together. David, what about from your experiences? To be completely frank, I get inundated with LinkedIn and that can be difficult to sort of see, sort the wheat from the chaff, but the issues are often that come up, cold calling and LinkedIn requests, et cetera, without any real background and understanding of the environment that they're leaking to, that is an issue. And, you know, my advice to anyone that's doing that would be, researchers understand what our issues are and then reach out. In terms of virtual, Jeff's absolutely right. And then I've been engaged with telehealth, for example, and pushing telehealth for years and years and years, along with some of my colleagues that are on the the session today. And one of the issues has been, we didn't think, we probably didn't envisage a lot of these issues of virtual connections, how difficult they can actually be, that in fact, you need the human contact. You make relationships in some ways face-to-face faster than you do virtually. The platforms are all very, very good. And you certainly get a level of engagement that's different because you're now getting chat as well as an option and you get immediate feedback. But at the same time, I'd also dissuade email because email's a bit of a cash that you might send it on a Monday. I might read it on a Wednesday. It's already gone. The the options there might've already passed. So in terms of engagement, virtual is better than nothing. If we can get face-to-face when we can, it's certainly a better option, but we've got to look at all of those elements. Having very large meetings over Zoom or Microsoft Teams is what we use at Northern. We find that very difficult. Engaging, getting actual real-time feedback is very difficult. Whereas if you're in a room, if I'm in a lecture theater and I'm standing up the front I can eyeball everybody. I can see what their body language is doing. Virtually, people just don't engage. They're actually doing emails or other social media related things instead of tuning into you. So there is a harsh reality to virtual and we all have to adjust to it for a period of time. But if we can match that with some level of face-to-face, we really should. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. We've got close to 60-something people watching live now, so the engagement in this one's all right, but I totally hear you, and it's something that we're evolving with the times. And I can see Karen's also put in a comment and a question here, sometimes having multiple layers within relationships and different stakeholders on either side. It can be really hard to kind of navigate who's who. I guess what I take from Karen's comment there is, How do you go about navigating all the different stakeholders in building these relationships? Sometimes it's hard to just have a relationship with one person. There's multiple people involved. Again, we'll start with you, Jeff, and any comments that David might have. I think you're coming from the supplier side. If there's a relationship that's got various contracts across various groups, indicates to me a fairly complex relationship with an awful lot of moving parts to it. And I think the best way in my experience to manage that is have a dedicated person that's known across the organization that's their go-to person for say informatics. And then that person is responsible for the consistent communication back into the organization to keep us all up to speed as to what's happening with that particular partner client. Because otherwise things do get lost and people start to engage with various people in the uh, provider organization. And that causes miscommunication and people sometimes make assumptions that if they'd had exposure to something else, then that assumption wouldn't have been made. So yeah, I think when things get to be that complex, that means there needs to be one point of contact and one point of responsibility for the client to be able to talk to. I think Karen's raised a very, very, probably a wicked problem, really. How do we solve it? In healthcare, we're full of silos, to be frank. And to break down those silos, often we try and solve it with governance. That often doesn't work either because then sometimes it actually strengthens people's resolve to stay in their silos. What I've found is, and it's truly reflective of what's happening in the private sector as well, which is business relationship managers. So actually having people within your team that can go out and understand what is happening across all of those different areas and have them as a team of people. So it's not just one person, it's likely to be multiple. And again, where health's so very it's a ration system. So we often can't afford to have people like that. So often we find our BAs, our business analysts are those people. They become, I guess, Johnny on the spot. They go around and find out what's happening and really check the pulse of what is going on in the clinical space. In the non-clinical space, you also find that people in finance, they're the ones that sign the checks and do the transfers. So they often know what's going on and can tell you a lot about what's coming through their accounts. That gives you a fair bit, you know, what do they used to say? Chase the money. By doing that, you actually find out where things are going on inside your hospital environment. That's such good advice. And even just to get people thinking about if they do get stuck, there's always, you know, some key people potentially they could hopefully get some direction from. So that's really helpful. I can see here, the name doesn't come up, but I think you can see in the chat if you're there live. But the question is, are you finding that contract terms are becoming more arbitrary after COVID-19 is declared? So just building on the point around contracts, was there anything else that Jeff or David had to make comment on that contracts in COVID times? Yeah, for me, I'm not sure if they're arbitrary. It's more as a healthcare environment that's focusing on the pandemic itself and caring for COVID patients. The issues become we push all the contract stuff aside because we've got to deal with what's in front of us. So we don't pull out the contract and wax on over the head with it. We actually like to pull at their heartstrings, to be honest. So we go to them and say, look, this system has to be available. If it's not available, we can't care for these patients, which means they're going to die. So that certainly helps in terms of 
the T's and C's, our contract managers are probably finding that they're dealing more with an inability to enforce. So therefore they, they look at it and we're in a different situation now. And we all have the situation where you'd want to go to those contract terms and say, but what does it say about these little elements? Why are we going to build that's much larger than the one last month? But there are often reasons why that might be the case. So rather than going straight to the contract straight away and trying to redefine the terms, a lot of vendors we know are, are suffering as well. So there's some that aren't doing so well. So we've got to have some leniency if we want a service. So it goes both ways. Yeah. We're all in this in the end for delivering healthcare and better patient care. And in the end, that's the objective there. And as Tim's kind of highlighting too, there's opportunities that come out of these things for everybody to help out and solve some real problems, including vendors as well. So yeah, it's an interesting time for everyone indeed. Starting to round out conversations and by all means open to people putting in questions across. If you're watching live from LinkedIn or YouTube or Facebook, you can put a comment and we'll see that. We'll be able to put it on screen and talk about that. But we might start to talk about then, and there's already been some great insights that you've both provided that people watching can take back to their own environments within a healthcare setting, whether they are in a hospital or in anywhere for that matter, utilizing technology. But if you were to have any advice to people who are either implementing or maintaining or upgrading technology, what would be some of those key things to summarize? I know we've touched on some already, but just to highlight perhaps Jeff firstly, and then to Dave. Yeah, I think, and again, I'll expand on what David was talking about with the current environment and the impact of COVID and being understanding about suppliers because everybody's facing their own issues and dealing with their own things. I think regardless what it is, whether it's project implementation or just the ongoing relationship, I really think empathy has to be one of those things that's first and foremost. This is a pressurized industry anyway, but it's under tremendous amount, almost, I think, indescribable stresses and pressures. So I think a lot of things drive behavior as well. Being empathetic with the partner and being understanding with the partner and having an attitude of just take responsibility, whether it's an issue or conversation, don't be defensive. Take it and use it as an opportunity to actually think about what the issue is and take the responsibility and the ownership to try to drive a solution. And sometimes that may not be a direct approach there. It may be something that can influence from the side or dressing something else that will then help resolve the problem. So use a little creativity and don't get locked down. I mean, I think one of the, the things that came out of the uh, example that David was talking about is we came out of that very strong and the relationship was strong going into it, which allowed uh, us to manage through a, a, you know, a difficult time, but it came out even at a higher level. And so then when the next project that Northern went through was well, transitioning us into a brand new data center, I think because of all we had learned about each other's organizations in that previous process, that was almost a seamless event. We were very well organized. We were very well planned through. We had contingency plans for every step of the way, you know, go, no go checkpoints. And it was very, a very smooth transition. It just comes out of really understanding and being empathetic, taking the responsibility. And again, just being transparent with everything. And I think that's the way, especially now, I think things have to be approached. Yeah. Jeff mentioned just before that we moved data centers and in some ways that was that different thinking, that different approach was, mm, this might solve the problem. If we move this over there, luckily in some ways that 
informatics had a very curious CTO who really wanted to hunt down what the issues were anyway and was looking at the code and looking at all the elements. And even though we've moved to a new data center and it's performing brilliantly, he still wants to hunt it down. He still wants to find out what that issue was because another customer might have the same issue. So certainly having tenacity to solve a problem, that sort of makes a big difference. And it actually gives confidence back to our exec leadership team that we have chosen the right vendor, that we're working closely with them and they'll do everything they can to solve our problem. If they know that and whether, you know, that as, as a team, we need to be sure that they are pulling in the same direction as what we're wanting them to, that's really important too. And at a level of escalation early, I can't emphasize that enough that what I see often is too much of a laid back approach that she'll be right. Unfortunately, it's too late sometimes and you have to revert to the contract and you don't want to have to do that. It's a bad outcome for all when you get to that point. So that's probably my key piece of advice. What I take from both of those responses too, you've emphasized leveraging the existing relationship has been helpful. So for those in those situations where it might be like building relationships over a longer period of time are done without the problems in mind. It's just about genuinely understanding the problem that's trying to be solved or the capability that exists on both sides. So in the event that something comes up, you're prepared for it because if you've not done that prep work and the situation comes up, it's kind of a little bit too late. So if sometimes it comes down to the basics of relationships, right, of understanding the needs on both sides and speaking transparently and openly and being genuine about it. So I'm so glad that that's kind of come out of this session today, guys. And I look, I really look forward to having David, yourself and others involved in the Spring Summit coming up on the 16th of September and we'll be able to talk through more of that with a broader audience as well. So today's been a good little test to see some of that in action live and I really appreciate those that have attended live today on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook and providing comments. There might still be some comments coming through. We might need to address those in the chat. But we will wrap up now and look, Jeff, David, I really appreciate you making the time today. Oh, great effort. Really appreciate it, Peter. It's good to see you, David. Thank you. And yes, great to see you and good to see some uh, familiar faces and familiar names. A lot of veterans, as everyone said. So we'll keep the conversation going. Thanks, guys. Catch you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.